that's what Bud said just on his way out today, um, uh, yesterday, that his name's Bud Sanford, and uh, I think Rick knew him from high school in San Juan, and um, uh, he had two opportunities uh, for counter approach at the intersection, and uh, uh, both of those things um, didn't match Bud's bag, so he The next one, he said, "Geez, the brake pulled." I said, "Well, they're going to race God, so you know." And, and so, uh, it is a great way again to share the love of Jesus and keep the practice today as you're out and about and just to be with the folks that you're with. Uh, before we jump into the sermon for this morning, uh, I'm going to close out today our Connect series. But throughout this uh, uh, month of September and now this first week of October, we've been memorizing together Romans 12:5. I hope you've had a chance to work on that and meditate on that some. But this, just as a reminder, refresher, let's kind of go through that together, and then we'll get into the Word. But this week, be kind of discipled with me, uh, if you can. Remember that phrase. If not, you can do it this morning. Here's Romans 12, 5. Let's together. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Romans 12, 5. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, as always, for your Word. And, and as we look at it together this morning, I pray that you would instruct us, encourage us, and help us to do it. Uh, change us more and more and we'll give you all the glory that is due we pray in jesus name amen amen hallelujah well pastor matt uh, was just kidding a minute ago he did ask me to cut this short uh, um so i'm going to do uh, uh, uh but but i'm sure that uh, we'll see what happens today uh as i mentioned i want to close out this morning our um we are our connected teaching series uh, and i want to do that with a brief look at the one thing the one thing that makes connectedness possible. Uh, the crucial ingredient without which Christian community could never happen. And I'm talking, of course, about the gospel. Because without the gospel, there's frankly no Christian anything. It is the gospel that creates Christians in the first place. It's the gospel that creates Christian values. It's the gospel that creates Christian community. The Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the Romans, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The gospel of God is the power of God to save and change lives. The gospel of God is the power of God to save and change everything because the gospel is the message of God's great love through the sacrifice of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, to break into this broken world and set all things right again. The final sentence of our We Are Committed Core Values says, because we believe everyone needs a Savior, we genuinely love people in spite of their flaws. And when it comes to talking about being connected in Christian community, there's a lot to unpack in that one statement. So as we get into that, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God? And just to get us focused and moving this morning, we're going to read together uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you're with me here in the Sermon Tree Life, I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions, and those of you who worship with, with us virtually, just read the passage at the top of the bench and screen. We don't need to walk through it together. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, is what the Bible says. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, 
having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only after your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Praise the Lord and bless the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. As I already mentioned, uh, um, our We Are Connected core value concludes with a statement, because we believe everyone needs to say something, we genuinely love people in spite of their flaws. And if you listened carefully to that statement, or if you pondered it at all over the last couple of weeks, you may have noticed that it opens and closes with an acknowledgement of human brokenness. We genuinely love people, it says, in spite of their flaws. Meaning, as a matter of course, we simply assume everyone has flaws. We take it for granted that everyone is broken. That everyone is, at some fundamental level, something of a hot mess. So if you're visiting with us, maybe kind of checking us out online, watching uh, some of our services online, trying to get a feel maybe for who we are and what we're like, and if in that process there's anything in you kind of hoping you've got it all together, let me go ahead and just uh, uh, gently squeeze the air out of that balloon for you uh, before it pops and and you startle yourself. Because as Bible-believing followers of Jesus, as a people committed to the gospel, it is our firm conviction that you and me and everybody else is deeply flawed and broken. Yes, we were made in the image of God, and so God has imbued each of us with inestimable value and potential. But at the same time, we've all been broken by sin and the fall so that we are utterly incapable on our own of saving ourselves or of living up to that potential. In fact, we don't just believe that people have flaws. We believe people are so deeply flawed, they stand in desperate need of a Savior. That they can never, ever save themselves. That they all, we all, need Jesus to come and save us. That conviction, by the way, comes from the Bible, which tells us things like, there is no one who does not sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have become like one who is unclean. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. There is no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his truth has no place in our lives. We all stumble in many ways. This conviction then that everyone is broken and in need of a Savior is basic to everything else we believe. It informs our thoughts and our expectations of others, and so it directs our responses to them, especially when they don't always behave in ways we wish they would. In that regard, the gospel serves as a great leveler of the playing field. We all come into the game broken and in need of help, broken and in need of grace and mercy. 
which means for those who believe the gospel, there is simply no room whatsoever to be judgmental toward others or to feel in any way holier than they. Sometimes people, especially young Christians, imagine that the gospel divides the world into the good people who follow Jesus and the bad people who do not. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The gospel rather divides the world into the broken and occasionally bad people who follow Jesus and the broken and occasionally bad people who don't. We believe everybody needs a Savior. Absolutely everybody, no matter where you come from, no matter where where you're going, no matter your education, no matter your income, no matter anything else about you, we believe everyone needs a Savior. I need Jesus as much today as I needed him 20 years ago. And I will need Jesus as much tomorrow as I need him today. So why is it then that Christians are so often accused of being judgmental, of being intolerant, or of thinking that they really are holier than thou? Well, one of the reasons is that Christians acknowledge danger. They see, plainly written out in the Bible, that God really does approve of some things and disapprove of some things. God cares how people live. God cares what people do. He made this world and everyone and everything in it. And he made it to work in certain ways in order to accomplish certain purposes, which means very simply, you can't just live any way you want to and assume God's okay with it. Christians understand that reality. But sometimes when they point it out, when they point out that God commands certain things and that God forbids certain things, sometimes people hear that as being judgmental or being intolerant or being holier than thou. They shouldn't hear it that way, but sometimes they do. And as a follower of Jesus and a servant of God, you need to be prepared for that. You need to be ready to explain as graciously and lovingly and winsomely as possible why telling folks about God's standard is a kindness rather than a criticism. You need to be ready to explain your position, to explain your thinking without getting angry or snippy or defensive and without as far as possible coming across as judgmental or holier than thou. And when I say, as I've often said lately, we've got to grow up. We're not ready for the things coming in the world. And part of what I mean is that that I find too few Christians who are capable of explaining the gospel and explaining the truth of the Bible and defending these things without getting snippy or defensive or judgmental. So one reason Christians are sometimes accused of being judgmental is because they understand that God hates it. Unfortunately, another reason is because sometimes Christians really are judgmental. Sometimes they really do act holier than thou. They confuse knowing that there is a standard with actually living up to that standard. 
And that is a gigantic gospel mistake. The Apostle Paul confronted the Jews with this mistake in the opening chapters of his letter to the Romans, writing things like this. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. And while this was an incredibly important message to the Jews of first century Palestine, Today, I suspect it is a much more important message to many professing Christians. Because the gospel message became we came to believe. The gospel message we came to follow, and we want others to believe and follow as well. It's the message that there is no difference. That all have sinned. That all fall short of the glory of God. And that all can be justified freely by His grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. That gospel message empowers us to live connected in Christian community because that gospel message reminds us everybody needs a Savior, which in turn is supposed to move us, whatever else may happen, to genuinely love people in spite of their faults. By acknowledging and owning our own sin, admitting and facing our own brokenness, then receiving the grace and mercy of God, being forgiven and welcomed by God, though we truly do not deserve that, by doing those things, we are empowered to love others in the face of their brokenness and sin, in the face of their failings and faults and flaws. So over and over in the New Testament, God calls his people to unity, the unity that is inherent in community. Take, for example, that passage in Philippians chapter 2 we read together just a few minutes ago. Paul writes, If you have any encouragement from being united with the saints, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And you notice here that Paul is calling Christians to unity. And it is a whopping, serious unity event. He says you need to be like-minded. Literally, in the original Greek, you need to have the same heart and mind, the same thoughts and feelings. You need to be the same in your mind. Uh, That's that's the Greek word there, the root root word. And you need to be the same in here, all around your heart and your gut. You need to be the same. You need to be one in spirit. You need to be one in purpose. You need to consider others above yourselves. You need to look out for their interests as well as your own. And Paul says that his joy as a Christian leader is made complete, is fulfilled when the people of God live connected like that. But what I really want you to know is that Paul calls you to this sort of unity. Paul calls you to this sort of connectedness based on your experience of the gospel. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, all those things come from believing the gospel. All those things come from receiving and walking in the gospel. Heck, he says, if you just have any tenderness and compassion, any grace and mercy and love whatsoever, then make my joy complete by living connected in Christian community. It is the gospel 
to unite you with God and with one another. As the gospel becomes the starting point for everything else of your life. Everything you think, everything you say, everything you do, every motivation of your life, the gospel is meant to be the starting point. And so as a gospel person, as a recipient of the grace and the mercy and love of God, you're supposed to take that grace and mercy and love of God and make them the cornerstone for how you think, speak, and treat other people. The gospel should be the cornerstone of how you view other people. The gospel should be the cornerstone of how you treat other people. Because we believe everyone needs a Savior. We genuinely love people in spite of their flaws. Listen, the world attacks you because of your weaknesses. Kids in school pick on you. Neighbors and coworkers talk about you. People shoot you looks or roll their eyes at you. And so you learn from a very early age that it's not okay to be imperfect. You learn from a very early age to exaggerate your successes and to avoid the suffering of your failures. You learn from a very early age to lie about your grades and make excuses when you're late. To make fun of people who are weaker than you so that other people see them as the target and don't scream or bark at you. You get exasperated when people around you mess up because you worry it might somehow come back on you. That's the way the world functions. That's life in a big city. But that's never how life is supposed to be. Never how life is supposed to function through the kingdom of God. As gospel people, our lives are rooted in a different reality. We recognize and own our own brokenness. We trust and rely on God's mercy forever settled in Jesus. And because we've received this amazing grace, we should share it freely with other people. Because we believe everyone needs a Savior, we genuinely love people in spite of their flaws. One final thought and we're done. Last week I spoke with you very briefly about those kinds of stories you tell yourself and how those stories affect your reactions to other people. But I want to make sure you understand this morning that it's not just the stories you tell yourself about yourself. Nobody likes me. It's not fair. I'm a victim. It's not my fault. How can I help myself? It's not just the stories you tell yourself about yourself. It's also the stories you tell yourself about other people, especially the stories you tell yourself about people you have to deal with a lot, like your family or your coworkers or your boss take an example. Say, for example, you work in a high-pressure environment for a a hard-charging boss who's always in a hurry. She walks fast, she talks fast, and so you have very little direct contact with her. You begin to mull over the story in your head that she's an aggressive, self-centered workaholic who only cares about her own needs. Then one day she calls you. And after a brief, rushed conversation about the Wilson account, she says goodbye and hangs up just as you thought of something else you wanted to say. In all likelihood, in that moment, you go right to your go-to story. You'll be briefly hurt and then quickly angry. Because she's so wrapped up in herself and she's so, when she's done talking, she just hangs up on you and you're tired of the pain box and sending you back. Or, what if, with the very same boss, you regularly mull over a story about how incredibly hard she works 
how much she does to help your department stay on top. And how grateful you are that her efforts always seem at the end of the year to end up with you and your co-workers getting higher and higher pay. Then one day she called you. And after a brief rush of conversation about the Wilson account, she says goodbye and hangs up just as your daughter comes in front of you to ask you for money. You're like in that moment when you write your go-to story and start thinking, man, that woman probably hates me. I wonder where she's rushing off to now. I sure hope she's not here tonight or shoving me around. Lord, bless my boss. She had hard work. Lord, protect her from burning out and help her know your peace and blessings in the future. In both those stories, the boss was exactly the same. And the telephone conversation was exactly the same. The only thing that changed was your response to your boss's question. Those are the kind of stories we should tell one another about our boss. You need to pay attention to the stories you tell yourself about other people, about how you let yourself think about a spouse, a parent, children, co-workers. You need to be careful how you let yourself think about men, about women, about people in authority, because the kinds of stories you mull over about people have a lot to do with how you live your life. Listen, the gospel gives you the grace, that gives you grace for other people's faults and failings, but it also calls you to interpret up front in the kindest way possible their motives so as a gospel person, when you encounter genuine flaws in another person, because we all have a flawed nature, and we all make mistakes, you can respond with love and compassion, knowing we all need forgiveness, knowing forgiveness hurts, and encouragement and being united with Christ will help to make it right and fellowship shows us who you are, and then you showed us who we should make you in the first place. We thank you for the incredible goodness of our God, that given every right we have to simply reject us and leave us, to condemn us and start over, and your compassionate grace and love keeps us together. To show us who you are and what you're up to show us what we should take to one another, that we can embrace and open our lives to forgiveness and reconciliation. Father, we thank you for that. We acknowledge that you are our closest neighbor. Forgive us for forgetting that about ourselves. May the gospel be the starting point of all of our thinking, all of our looking at other people, all of our responses, and that we might really be a gospel connected together by the gospel and reaching out to a lost world. Make us that people we trust. Amen.